0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to How We Work, a podcast about the very real and very human dynamics that shape the way we work. I'm your host, Dr. Misha Ann Martin, and I am the Senior Director of People Analytics and Research at WorkHuman. This week, I'm live in San Diego, and I'm so excited. I am joined by the one and only Lovia Jai Jones. She is a four time New York Times bestselling author because we're going to claim it. Amen. The fourth one is coming. Amen. She is a podcast host and author of Professional Troublemaker Lovey Ajay Jones. All right. So usually, because this is how we work and we're all about humanity and humans, we like to start off every episode with asking our guests to do a human introduction. But I'm going to spin it for you today because you're not ordinary, so we can't do what we usually do. okay? Okay. So I have been reading your book, How to Be a Professional Troublemaker, and we're going to give this a lovey spin today and do this oriki style. If hey, you're okay with that. Let's go. All right. So I'm going to go first because I took your inspiration and wrote my own oriki, which has been hyping up my life ever since I did it. Amen. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you to do a version of yours. Is okay. that okay? Let's All right. Let's do it. So here's my oriki, y'all. Misha Ann Tassania of House Martin. First of her name. Descendant of Osmond and Timitas Martin, Evadne Hales and Louis Carby, Jewel of Jamaica and Justice Warrior. Yes. Soliloqu- soliloquy Slayer. Queen with a W of Quips. Lover of language. Fierce Fashionista. mayoress with the most moisturized melanin. Hey. Travel Tetes and Speaker of Truth, Transparency and Better Tomorrows. Dreamer. Futurist, lover, and fighter. How okay. Did that. That's right. amazing. Thank you. Yes,
1: that's why it's been happy your whole spirit up. It's yes. been giving me
0: so much joy. Thank you for that. So yes. what's your Oriki style introduction to our audience?
1: I am Lovey Ajayi of House Jones. I am bestseller book sorcerer of side eyes, lover of Jolof, Nigerian noble, shytown town creator, assassin of the alphabet, I am the conduit of courage. Somebody said I am also the champion of what was the other thing that people have been writing me others too. So I have to see. There's another one that somebody said I was. But I am also the dame of diction. Ow. I like that. You know, so wife to Carnell and
0: Yeah, brilliant balls. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So can you tell or readers like why that is so important? to come up with something like that for yeah. yourself, you know, and, and how it changes your world to be clear about how you want to show up in the world and who you are and the impact that you want to make.
1: Yes, I think we all need Noriki. An and, you know, Noriki is actually from Yoruba language. I'm Yoruba. And it basically is something to hype you up. Like it exists purely to make you feel good, to remind you of who you are and whose you are. And I think that we all should have one. And I asked people to do it in Game of Thrones style because, you know, whenever Daenerys got introduced, I was hyped for her every time. You know, they called her the Queen of the Andals, Breaker of Chains, Mother of Dragons. You heard that every time she came into the room, you were like, well, shoot. okay then. (laughs) And I think we all need to have it because the world will often tell us we're not enough.
0: Yeah. The world
1: will convince us to shrink when we should be taking up space. We will have bad days. We will have moments when we are questioning our very worth. In those moments, having something like this reminds you of how amazing you are, that in spite of your mistakes, in spite of the bad days, in spite of the bad decisions, you're still somebody who's worthy of love, respect, adoration.
0: It reminds you how dope you are. So everyone should get one. Thank you for that. So we're talking about how you show up in the world and something that you also talk about that affects how we show up in the world. Is fear. Yeah. So, can we talk about how people can tackle fear, but also still live boldly and audaciously despite that fear? Because we're not gonna get rid of fear, right? Like, it's a human experience. So, can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I think
1: we need to just make friends with fear. You know, I wrote Professional Troublemaker, the Fear Fighter Manual, because I realized that for you to live an audacious life, you're gonna have to do things that feel bigger than you, that feel scary. And what pushes you to go past that piece of discomfort, that anxiety, that doubt? And it's just understanding that fear sometimes is just a growth opportunity. How do you push yourself past that piece? Well, go, what am I supposed to be growing in? You know, what, what is the lesson here? How is this presenting me a new experience? And oftentimes, because we think something is new, we run behind. We run back and we go, nah, I don't want that. Right. But I think the greatest moments of our lives are in the moments when we do and go forward in spite of when we're afraid. We will never stop being afraid. You know, I think about fearlessness as, you know, not that you aren't afraid, but you're not letting your fear do less. Mm -hmm. So you just got to understand, look, I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to do the thing
0: anyway. That's right. I'm going to change the world anyway. You know, it's interesting. I think about. So part of my story is that I came to the U.S. by myself at 16 to start college. I had no family here, but I was super young and I wasn't really afraid. You know what I mean? And I think about how the fact is that as an adult, I become so much more afraid of so many different things now. And I'm like, where is that young person who who was fearless and who attacked life just thinking that everything was going to be okay, you know? And so I think sometimes we just kind of need to tap into that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, and I think as adults, we've gotten too many stories of disappointment.
0: Yeah, that's true. We've
1: gotten too many instances that we can point to of something not going well. Yeah. So we take, take on each of those stories, and then it makes us be less bold about mm-hmm. moving forward because we go, but I see it didn't work out for this person. Right. Or I see this moment where I fell flat on my face. So, all those stories that we like have a bag of stories now, like a, map, we have trunks of stories. Yeah. When before we might have only had three, now we might have 300. So, I think sometimes we just have to leave the stories behind and charge forward anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, what's interesting is that when we move despite our fear, we have the opportunity to change the world. Yes. And that taps into what you talk about in your book, Professional Troublemaker. So to make sure we're all on the same page for our listeners, can you describe what you mean when you say professional troublemaker?
1: Yes, I think about professional troublemakers as the people who are committed to elevating the rooms that they're in. Whatever's happening there, they feel responsible for. They're not the haters, the trolls, the contrarians, the people who just rude, who just want to disagree. There are people who say, you know what, what is my role in this world to make it better than I found it? And I'm going to do the thing that feels hard or feels fearful because it feels significant. You know, I think about the late, great John Lewis who said, let's always be ready to make necessary good trouble. Uh, He was a professional troublemaker. His whole life was dedicated to making the world better than when he he first got here. So I think about professional troublemakers as just every single day, the people who are challenging you, who are asking you questions, the friends who say hey, let's have a tough conversation. The colleague who says, you know, let's think about this idea different. They just want to make things better and they will do what's in their power to do it.
0: So you talk about, you know, what you're meant to be doing in the world. And here at Work Human, we talk about meaningful work and meaning and purpose. And I've personally talked a lot about how it has changed my life To know that I'm doing exactly what it is I'm supposed to be doing in the world. So do you have any advice for people around how they can find that thing? How they can identify where they're best equipped to make good trouble?
1: Yes. I think about the intersection of your purpose is things you enjoy, things that you're passionate about, and things that you like doing,
0: Mm -hmm. right?
1: Things that you're good at. Mm -hmm. So what do you like to do? What are you deeply passionate about? And what do you enjoy? Somewhere in there is your superpower and somewhere in there is your purpose. So for me as a writer and a speaker, I love to use my words to move people, to do something, whatever that thing is. And I'm good at it and I enjoy it. So to deny it as my purpose would be to deny the obvious. So I know a lot of people are sometimes like, I don't know how to figure out mine. Sometimes I go... What did you used to do as a kid? I also mm. think what we were doing as kids is a clue to what we should be doing now. Like oftentimes you'll find out like writers were people who used to write stories when they were little.
0: Architects <laughs> used
1: to randomly build Legos when they were little. Think back to who you were when you were young and the ways you spent your time even in play. Yeah. And sometimes it will give you clues. For me, I used to write notes to my mom when I was little.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's funny that now I'm writing books. So it, it tracks. You know,
0: what's really funny. I do some writing, too, and I'm I'm a lover of words. And my mother loves to tell people how when I was really young, I wrote my first book (laughs) about being a supermodel. Yeah. And the agent wanted her to wear less clothes and she was comfortable with. But she turned down the money and the job. And, you know, usually when she tells that story, I'm annoyed. But now that you say what you just said, I was like, oh. You're a storyteller. I'm a storyteller, but I've always also been interested in integrity. Yes. And standing up for what I think is right for me instead of what the world says is right for me.
1: Yes. Like, I really do want people to go back to who they were as a kid. Because I promise you, the clues that it leaves to who you should be now. Like, oftentimes, go back to when you're six and seven and eight. How you were is your true self. Yeah, yeah. And then before the world got to abuse it out of you or insult it out of you or bully it out of you, figure out who that girl was, who that dude was. Like, what did he like to do? What, what was her takes? What were her triggers? Yeah, what did she love? Yeah. What made her smile? Like, going back to that is important. And honestly, that's why I wrote my latest book, which is Little Troublemaker Makes a Mess. Because I started realizing that, like, yes, kid us left us clues about who grown up us
0: Was supposed to be. That is such great advice. Because another thing that we have in common, I also got in trouble for my mouth. Amen. Like all the time, and here I am. Mommy, look, this mouth is making me money. Amen. Okay, (laughs) come on, come on. (laughs) So one of the things that can happen though when we're walking with conviction is that sometimes we fail to appropriately take feedback. So I want to talk about that a little bit. So in your book, Professional Troublemaker, you talk about something that I really like, which is the credible versus compost test. Ooh! And I just want to talk about that a little bit, because, you know, I started my formal career at age 26. And very early on, I got some really bad advice. <laughs> so I started out as a PhD, I was on an HR leadership team. And my leader at the time was Son of the CEO and founder, his name was on the building. Here I am, 26 years old. And he says to me, you know, people think PhDs are really arrogant. So maybe you should be a little bit more self-deprecating.
1: Oh, you want me to make fun of myself to make you feel better?
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And so fortunately, I was self-aware enough to say, yeah, Mm -hmm. compost compost. We're just not going to do that. But do you have any advice for people on making those decisions when they get feedback so that we are continually getting better and being the best version of ourselves, but we're not taking in compost and being less of ourselves?
1: Yeah. Oftentimes people will say we're too much of something. Mm -hmm. I think really a lot of our superpowers lays in what they say we're too much of, like, again, too mouthy over here. And now I'm making my living as a writer, as a speaker, (laughs) right? So in terms of knowing what feedback to dump, I honestly say going to somebody who you trust. Going to somebody who you trust, who is one of your no people. And I mean no people by people who are not afraid to tell you no. Mm -hmm. Because if you're surrounded by yes people, that's how tyrants are created. But going to somebody who you trust implicitly and say, this person said this. Do you think this is true about me? Mm. Do you think there's any pieces of this that I should take on? Because if that person then reflects it back to you, like yeah, I can see a little bit about where that can be right. You can go, all right, so what pieces should I take in to adjust, right? It's so that we don't constantly take every piece of feedback. Because not everybody's well-intentioned.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not everybody wants, to, wants us to do well. And with the lack of motive, people will just project at you too. So you also don't want to take on and absorb people's projections of you. So I say, honestly, go to the people who you trust and say, could this be true? Yeah, and see what they say, and if they say, you know what, yes, you should reflect. Then, hey, reflect. If they say that is not even close to being valid, wipe it off.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So everybody really needs those friends and trusted advisors. So one of the things I struggle with, and I I say all the time, is just because it's true doesn't mean that it should always be said. Mm. And <laughs> I am often that friend and trusted advisor, but sometimes I struggle with. Mm, you didn't ask me. Should I really tell you? You know what I mean? Like, to what extent should I always say what I'm thinking, particularly when the feedback wasn't solicited? Because I struggle with people thinking, okay, she's always so disagreeable, right? So, as the person on the other side, do you have any advice for what you choose to say versus when you keep your mouth shut, especially if somebody didn't ask you? Sometimes
1: I ask the feedback. I, I ask the question of do you just want me to listen or do you want my feedback? Mm. And they know because they know who I am. My mm-hmm. feedback is honest from my thought. It's from a place of love. Yeah. So I give them the, the chance to say, you know what? No, I just want you to listen. Then in that case, boom. When it doesn't go well, then they come back to me and go, all right, so I need your feedback. Then I go, all right, I was thinking this, but you said you didn't want to hear it, so I didn't tell you that. <laughs> but also just, just honestly letting people know. Like, you tell me, do you want to hear some feedback? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people will say, you know what? Yeah okay, lay it on me. Fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if they say no, then, you know what, just watch whatever happens, happens. And then they'll come back.
0: Yeah. And you get to go.
1: oh, Yeah. Okay.
0: So there's something that you said that I want to just emphasize a little bit more because you said coming from a place of love. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's so important to remind people, whether in your personal relationships or professional relationships, maybe it helps to set that context of, Hey, you know, I really care about you. And that's yeah. why I'm saying this, you know, I am here for your professional development and I want to see you grow and succeed. Yes. And so that's so much better than the stupid compliment sandwich, right? Like- <laughs> Correct.
1: Correct. Because then that's infantilizing, right? right? To be able to say, look, I'm saying this because I deeply care because my, my silence is what you should worry about. Like my mm-hmm. silence means I'm not really watching your back anymore. I'm right. just letting you run amok. So my voice in this is because I care and I really think there's a, this is a chance for growth and development mm-hmm. that you can go on.
0: So I have two final questions for you. Word. Here is the first one. So I want to talk a little bit more about making good trouble at work. So we're here at Work Human Live and we're live. And tomorrow I am doing a presentation on research that we did in tandem with the Black men in tech organization. And one of the things we found in that research Is that the majority of that sample were saying that their paycheck supports more than their nuclear family? Yep. So we're supporting extended family, you know, especially as immigrants, we're supporting community. We might be tithing, right? Yeah. So my question to you is how do we balance making good trouble with the fear of losing our income, knowing that we're responsible for so many people? Who depend on us. Any advice there?
1: Yes. I always, which is why I want people to weigh what's actually at stake. Mm -hmm. If I can be fired for asking a thoughtful question in a meeting, I'm working in a cage. I think about those moments of good troubles. Like it's not about blowing up the room. Sometimes Mm -hmm. simple is as simple as like asking a question and asking for understanding for us to get fired for simply asking questions, honestly, is a, That means we are in a space that we cannot thrive in. It means we are in a space where that fear of punishment is real. Mm -hmm. And we definitely can't do the best work. So I always say, listen, survival is number one. Yeah. Right. I would never ask anybody to jeopardize their livelihood or like their life or somebody else's livelihood for the sake of speaking truth.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But that's why I also ask, what are the stakes? Be very clear what the stakes are. And see whether you can deal with them. So do you have a large network that could get you a job instantly? Mm, Okay. Right? We are not just going to take random leaps of faith with our nets, right, to catch us. That's right. So it's a, you just have to make a smart choice. And a very knowledgeable choice on what the stakes are, what your cushion is. Yeah. Because I am also a fan of the Freedom Fund.
0: Okay. Speak on it, please. Thank you.
1: The Freedom Fund is when you stack enough money where your choices don't have to be based on you needing money because if you don't have that job today, you might, you'll lose everything. Yes. So stack your Freedom Fund.
0: I talk about that a lot. I talked about that on LinkedIn recently, in fact, and I posted a picture with my financial advisor and I said, the last time I got laid off, this man and I made a plan so that I could move with purpose. And not fear.
1: Moving with a freedom fund allows you to move with purpose, not fear. That's right. So your choices day to day do not have to feel so high stakes all the time.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So last question, you have a fashion tab on your awesomely lovey website. So I feel like I can ask you this one and you are fierce looking. Thank you. Love this fashion. So as a woman, I feel like I'm always trying to toe that line between being myself and being too much where my fashion choices are concerned. Yes. You know, I go to conferences and I, and I present them I'm like, oh, my God, what do I wear? What shoes? You know, so how do you decide what to wear? And how did you decide what to wear today?
1: So how I decided what to wear today, I actually made my Instagram followers vote. I gave them a choice because here's I love the thing that. is my uniform. When I get on the stage, I'm wearing a blazer for sure. OK, it's always going to be a blazer on me. So I was like, hey, help me pick a blazer. And I gave him four choices, red, blue, yellow, or green. And red is my signature color. Uh I was thinking they might still go off. 45% said red. So I said, you know what? Bet. I got y'all on the fire engine red, (laughs) double-breasted, say (laughs) less. I literally have 10 blazers that are red, by the way. So that was also a choice I had to make. But how I decide on my style and my fashion. So I use fashion as a cheat code, a memorable cheat code. Interesting. When you're at a conference with 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 1,000 people, 500 people, how do you stand out as a person that somebody met and had the conversation with? I think you can use your style to cheat that. Have something on you that is interesting at all times. It could be a brooch. It could be a scarf. It could be a tie. It could be your shoes. It could be the color that you're wearing, the pattern. Pick a thing. Sometimes I'll pick three things. I'll give you color. I'll give you shoes. (laughs) I'll give you all of that. All of that, right? So I actually think it's important for people to stand out. You know, towing the line, when you show up in a room of a thousand people, what makes somebody walk in and go, I remember that conversation. This is what they had on. Oftentimes, I remember somebody I had a conversation with because of what they had on. So I actually think you should be too much at a conference. You should be too much when you're speaking because you want somebody to be anchored to something on you that also ties a visual memory to your words. So for me, wearing bright red, wearing some shoes that are fire. People are going to be like, I remember her shoes. So even if you don't like what I'm saying, you're going to know I'm fly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that advice. Thank you so much. You heard it here first. Don't be afraid to stand out with your fashion choices, la- ladies. Absolutely. And men. And
1: men. Y'all can wear interesting ties, interesting shirts. Give me a floral moment under your suit. You know what I'm saying? That's Give me right. a houndstooth in a hot second. Give me pinstripe. Y'all can play
0: with it. That's right. Same for our non-binary folks. Let's not forget them. Thank you for joining us on How We Work.